Are you looking to get your feet wet in Gen AI on your own terms? Check out our free digital course, Build Your Own Custom GPT by Hatchworks. In the course, we teach you step-by-step -step how to create your own custom GPT so you can start solving some specific problems and use cases in your business with Gen AI. Trust me, you're gonna wow your coworkers and probably even yourself with this new skill. Check out the link in the show notes or visit hatchworks.com to get started. Welcome to Built Right, a podcast by Hatchworks where we help you learn to build the right digital product the right way. In each episode, we'll deconstruct the layers of successful product development, break down popular trends, and offer real advice to help make sure your product is built right. We may not have all the answers, but we've built a lot of digital products across a lot of industries, and we've seen a thing or two. Let's get into it. All right, I am pumped to be joined by Andy Silvestri. He's a true master of his craft with nearly 20 years of experience in digital design, including graphic design, creative design, user experience, customer experience, and even product strategy. He even ran his own customer experience strategy and design firm field for about 10 years before joining us at Hatchworks to lead our product design practice. And today we're gonna get into uh, the crucial role UX user experience plays in making sure you're building the right solution, which is that's a big component of built right. But welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks, Matt. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk with you as as always, and I'm really excited to dive in deeper. It's funny you mentioned field that was like another life. So. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually how we met back in the day when you were uh, running field. Uh, yeah, and it, it, really excited to get into this. We're going to go deep on UX. Andy is a master of the whiteboard in the workshop. I, I see myself in awe every time I see him lead a workshop. He, uh, I'm just like in the back taking notes, like, how is this guy doing this? Uh, but y'all are going to love this episode today. But Andy, let's start off like high level, the, the tipping point of UX, because it does get confused. But what, what's the goal of UX? What's the goal of user experience? Yeah. It's a great question. I mean, like, you know, UX is used in a lot of different ways. A lot of people talk about UX, this, that, you know, um, I think that, you know, there's this general mindset out there that, you know, UX is all about making things easier for your end user. Right. Um, and, you know, minimizing clicks and that kind of things, but it's really more about just, I, I feel enabling an end user or a user base, right? Like making them have, uh, or giving them the ability to be successful in your solution, coming in, doing what they need to do, getting the information or getting this, you know, getting to completion of a certain task um, and and getting out, right? That's really it. And so obviously ease of use is a factor of that, but it's really more about um, enabling your user um, because complexity is a good thing sometimes. There are systems that need to be complex because they're trying to convey very complex ideas or they're trying to uh, allow a user to um, do very complex tasks, right? So it's not just about how many clicks can we minimize or, you know, how can we combine things so that it's in one place? It's, it's again, just all about that enablement. Yeah, that's great insight. And that, that's a big thing. It's like everybody's trying to get to, let's make this super easy, uh, you know, super painless. Yes, that's, that's good. But I mean, things, some systems can be complex. It's like, how do you make the complex simple? And that can be a difficult thing to do. That takes a lot of a lot of hard work on the research side of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that you you touch on a key point there. I think that um, 
obviously the the further you get in a system, the more complex it becomes, um, the more, uh, I guess, specialized whatever it is that you're doing for your users is, the more you need to understand what your users need, right? And, and you need to be talking with them. So the research component, which I'm sure we'll get way deep in because it's where my passion lies, um, is, is a big factor to, uh, to being successful and to having that validation and that understanding. And when we talk about the goal of UX, you got different stakeholders. Who are you considering when you're looking at user experience? I mean, people typically go straight to the user, but, but it's more than that. Who are you like, who's in your thought process when you're starting your research on the user experience side of things? Yeah. So, you know, research kind of goes both ways in the sense that you, you know, you, you do need to factor in key stakeholders of a business, right? So there is that component of making sure that, you know, whatever you're doing within the system, whatever you're creating uh, for your eventual end users, those could be external customers, those could, those could be internal employees, that kind of thing, right? They're your user. But the stakeholders do have, you know, business needs that kind of, you know, drive uh, the you know, the, the foundation of a system, so to speak. And so really making sure that there's a consistent kind of narrative or, um, um, you know, a specific kind of, um, you know, objective that you're getting to and having the buy-in of the business is, is a big part of it. So that has to be kind of factored into, Hey, how are we kind of approach enabling our users? As I was saying, what do we need to offer them? How do they, you know, how are they successful? What does it mean for them to be successful? And how does that refer back to you know, the success of our business, right? Our platform, giving them this ability equals something on the business end, right? And it hits the bottom line somehow. So um, again, having both of those threads from a, uh, a research and a, you know, an understanding perspective is, is, is critically important, I think. And again, part of the process is marrying those together into eventually what becomes, yes, the end user experience. Yeah. And it's, you hit on it too. Like if if you're building a solution, it's got customers, it's got to be viable. It's got to make money. So you can keep continuing to offer this thing to your customers. So that's, that's that balancing act where if you, if you sway one way too much on the user side or one way too much on the business side, you can be in a bad spot. It's finding that kind of harmony between the two, your user and your business, something your users love it's something that your business loves in terms of being viable and, you know, continuing to be self-sufficient in the future. Yeah. And I mean, having that feedback loop is critical, right? Because what you want to do is, of course, you know, have continuous research be built into kind of the DNA of how you're approaching the user experience of your product or, or just your business in general, right? So at the end of the day, you want to have that feedback loop from customers, users, you know, what are they, what are they saying? Okay. How are we kind of bringing that back up the chain and, um, you know, presenting that internally and, and either debating that or folding it into existing initiatives, or at least having some level of conversation around, Hey, this is what our users are saying. We're, we're looking here, but maybe we need to be looking there because of what we're hearing, you know? So again, it's high, it's very important to have that as a, as kind of a backbone of how you're approaching, um, creating the experience, updating the experience, you know, having the experience expand all those kinds of things. Yeah. And it's kind of a good segue into the next thing I was wanting to hit on. So you talk about a UX mindset, right? This thing's a mindset. It's not, it's not just reserved for a couple folks in like the, uh, the product designer UX or side of the house. It's a mindset within the whole organization. Uh, take, take us through that. What, what do you mean by a, a UX mindset and 
go go down yeah, that I think, yeah i think there's there's a couple layers to that really um you know on the surface there's obviously the the idea of like hey we want to be presenting a good experience right we want to delight customers you know you hear that all the time um and then there's like kind of this idea of like do the ux <laughs> you know like like just just ux it you do know? it and Andy, do yeah, it yeah just do it um but I think that, you know, like a, a user experience mindset really starts with that kind of design thinking mindset as well, which is kind of, you know, starting with empathy for your user, understanding what they need, right? Getting inside of their heads, kind of, you know, walking in their shoes. And a lot of customers, a lot of times, like just assume they know, right? Like they're just like, oh yeah, yeah, we get it. Like that's, that's cool. We're going to just do this because we know that this is what customers want. And they, you know, you start to kind of peel the onion and it's something completely different, right? So. Um, I guess like in a way you start with that empathy, you understand kind of walking in the shoes of your customer, your user. And then from there you start to define and you, from there start, you know, you continue to iterate and prototype and present things back to the, the customers and continue to kind of narrow the focus, right. Or, or get more and more validation. And so really like that's the cyclical, when we say a mindset, that's really what you have to have throughout the process of creating your product or your solution, right? You can't just go in with assumptions and, and, and lean on those. You have to have that validation. So the more you can kind of just have that again, it, as, as a directive, um, of we're going to empathize, we're going to, we're going to get inside the head and try to understand, not just ask them questions, but try to understand who they are, right? Like realistically, like who is my customer? Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of emphasis sometimes put on creating personas out of your user base. Right. And that's a great tool for, uh, organizations that need to um, have kind of that crystallization of of understanding, um, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't have to be that cut and dry or that polished. You can just still have you know a running understanding and a narrative of like who your user is just by talking to them, right? And and documenting that and and continuing the process. So that's that's really what I mean about it being a mindset. It's more about you know. We're not just here to do the UX, meaning we got, we need some wireframes. <laughs> we need some, we need some user flows. We need to understand. We need to have that, that understanding kind of be the backbone of what we're doing. Yeah. We weren't planning on going here, but give me your hot take on personas. The, uh, you know, Jill that's 40 years old and, and likes, <laughs> uh, uh, a comedy. I mean, I, I think that they're, again, they can be very valuable when, especially when you have a larger organization that needs to kind of rally around an understanding and you need to disseminate this persona to multiple business units or multiple groups within an organization that might not be very well, you know, very closely tied to product or design or, you know, uh, you know, the kind of, you know, management side of a product. Right. Um, I've seen this happen with large, you know, typically much larger groups, but, um, you know, you can create marketing campaigns around your personas for internal use, right. You can do that. And I think it's very valuable, uh, in those organizations when you're trying to kind of, again, disseminate uh, a a particular perspective on our customers, just so it's top of mind for 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 your employees and your you know the people that are working within your organizations. So again, like you know, I think that it's it's they have their place. They do absolutely have value, um, but it's not necessarily something that always has to happen. There's a, there's this uh, you know there's this idea that even in the early phases of just user definition, meaning that hey, our users are this this and this, and we have like a you know kind of a dossier on them doesn't have to be to the level of it's personified as, you know, you know, like you said, Jill from Ottawa who, you know, does this or that. Right. So, um, you know, but I mean, again, to your question, they do have a uh, very real value. And I think they're, you know, an important part of, of the overarching, 
uh, universe that is user experience. And so much of it's like, what is their goal? What are they trying to achieve? Starts getting into that path of your your jobs to be done. That's where you start getting those nuggets of how you, uh, you know, architect a, and design a solution for your users. Mm-hmm. And it, the cool thing, actually, I mean, just kind of keep keep digging on personas for a second. Yeah. Like, the cool thing is that they can evolve, right? And so, like, you can have them established one way from like an initial body of work, and Again, if you're keeping that mindset, you're continually doing your research, you're continually talking to customers, you can you can bring that back into reevaluating your persona. You might have started with saying, hey, this is, again, these are the ways we thought they sliced out. Maybe that's not true anymore. Maybe there's more of a, you know, maybe there's more gray area than you initially thought. Maybe there's more personas that are using your platform, right? Maybe there's more ways in which they're using your platform or your solution um, that you never really thought of that you're learning, again, through this continuous discovery and, and, and uh, research. And you mentioned a word a little bit ago, assumptions, which great to have assumptions. You got to have some ideas, some hypotheses. I think where we see breakage happen is you're not validating the assumptions. Take, take me through that. The importance of, you know, validating, because I can't tell you how many times and we've, we've been burned by this in our past. I'm sure, I'm sure you have to where, you know, you, you think, you know, your customer and you have an assumption and you run with it and then. You build something, you find out later that it's not the case. Yeah. Right. And again, like that's, that is a very common and it's a very attractive way to approach, you know, creating something, right? Is let's just, you know, like, let's go as fast as we can. Like we know what we, we know, we know what we think we know. Right. Um, and it's typically, you know, there's a, maybe there's a perception that to do the proper level of, of research and, and getting the right, you know, uh, data to validate your directions will take a very long time or it will be a very significant investment. Um, but that's typically not the case. Realistically, like, you know, going into even a, a handful of conversations with customers or, you know, your end users can be extremely valuable to to getting some level of that validation. And again, like there are, there are a lot of thoughts out there around like, you know, what's the proper level of research that you, you need to be doing? How many people should you be talking to? you know, going all the way up until, you know, we, you need to talk to at least 24 or 36. There's usually some divisible, divisible by 12. I don't know. <laughs> um, but in, in my experience, honestly, you know, even after, you know, doing some, some pretty pointed interviews with, again, your, your, your target customer. So that's, that's a pretty big caveat is that you have to, you have to be targeted in who you're talking to. Right. Um, which comes with, you know, kind of, you kind of get there from earlier definition, but long story short is if you even talk to like, you know, half a dozen people, six to seven, you're going to start to see themes emerge that should marry to helping validate your, your assumptions or disprove them. Right. So if you talk to six people and they're going one direction and you were thinking the other, it's a pretty good indication that, you know, you talk to six more or 20 more or 50 more, you're going to get that same kind of trend. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's a lot about just, okay, how, how, how quickly or how efficiently or how easily, so to speak, can we get people's feedback? Can we talk to them? How, how can we access our, our end user? Right. Um, is that a 15 minute phone call? Is that, you know, in terms of if it's an internal project, can we talk with coworkers who are using this platform or this system? Right. Um, can we spin up something that's a really low effort, you know, kind of, um, uh, objective really and like get them into into just the conversation right 
Like that, that's, that's really it. I think that it doesn't have to be some big, long drawn out, like we got to plan out six months of research and we got to do this and that. And, you know, um, but as long as you're staying on top of it, right. And, and you're not just being like, all right, we did six, we're good. Like you have it, you have the ability to continue to do that right over the course of your product or, you know, or, you know, I think that that's, that's enough to just keep it going, right. To always have that touch point. Um, and have it again, be like we're talking about with being a mindset, have it be a routine part of your mindset and your approach and your process. Yes. Yeah. So, all right, two, two separate threads here that, that I think are really interesting. Uh, the first one being, you mentioned a minute ago, when people think of UX and starting, like they want to hit the ground running, they want to start giving value, they want to start building. And a lot of people think that the UX side of it is going to slow them down. But talk to that. It's actually a way to save some money in the long run if you can validate some stuff up front versus building, rebuilding, and all of that. Right. I mean, like I was just saying, I think the temptation is let's save the money, let's start quick, and let's just kind of, you know, start doing things and creating things, right? 99% of the time, (laughs) if you do it that way without, again, any sort of validation, any sort of, um, um, you know, feedback or or input from your end user, you're going to be changing things sooner than you think. So you're going to lose that money that you saved up front in, in, the in, you know, by redoing or having to rebuild or God forbid, completely, re, you know, scrap something that you thought was, was the right way. Right. So, um, you know, that's just one way to look at it. You're either making the investment up front or you're making the investment later and it's much more painful the further down the path you get. Yeah. It, yeah. The pain definitely escalates. So in that same vein, uh, UX can be daunting for a lot of folks that are looking to take this on, bring it into their organization, but it, it doesn't have to be. Like, how, how can folks get started? Like, what's the, what's the MVP of UX for an organization that has not done it in the past? It doesn't have to be this big, crazy thing. Talk us through, like, where, where's the best spot to get started in kind of a minimal way? Yeah, um, I would say the best the best place to get started is to really do that kind of look in the mirror and say, how can we define our end user or our end users? Like really just start with that definition, right? Because they're going to be the ones who are ultimately determining whether or not you're successful, right? So at the very least, drafting that up and saying, okay, this is this is who we're going for, right? This is our this is our core target, right? And if that's multiple, uh, you know, targets, that's fine. Doing the same process for, for, for you know, for you know, multiple uh, users is fine. Getting that kind of as a baseline is something that's really just about uh, again, like again, that that look in the mirror, the internal kind of like let's let's do this, let's make sure that we have the right the right understanding of who we're doing this for, who we're creating this for. Um, sometimes, you know, there's existing users that you have, of course, that it's easier for, for certain organizations than others, um, or you're starting from scratch from a cocktail napkin. Um, you know, so from there, then it's about, okay, what are we enabling them to do? Like I was saying earlier, what are the jobs to be done? So to speak, that's a, you know, a framework that you can use. What do they have to be doing in this platform, the solution in order to be successful? And can we keep that at a very, can we, can we start to think about what that is once we've kind of Define that a bit. What is that in a in terms of prioritization? How do we look at that from like a phased approach, right? So we know that there might be a dozen things that this user needs to accomplish to be successful in various ways. 
But what's the most important thing, that 80-20 rule? Like what if we were to, uh, you know, frame up this, this 20% of a platform or a solution, what would give them 80% of the value of it, right? Like that, that kind of mindset I think is, is helpful. Um, and all of this is really whiteboard work. It's nothing that, that needs, um, a, 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 a super, a fancy degree or anything like that. It's more conversation and analysis. And again, like retrospection, you know, and making sure that all the stakeholders that are involved in this product are present and have, and have input. Right. Um, and again, from there, you start to get some traction, right, around who this who this customer or user is, what are their needs and pain points. You might even at this point, you know, if you can bring in some conversations with those those types of individuals to again start that validation cycle, right? Um, and from there, then it's like, okay, cool, this is framing up as a thing that makes sense, and we've we've started again to get that that validation and understanding. We're aligned internally. Our users, who we who we've you know us you know kind of defined have given us this level of input we can start to look at bringing in the more formal process of let's start to frame up things to show them as prototypes or as wireframes or whatever it might be concept you know, let's do that that high level conceptual work and continue the process so you're just kind of ratcheting up the fidelity a little bit you know but like it's the same kind of process of like okay we started with like just words you know <laughs> We've gotten, you know, we've gotten validation. We've gotten people involved that, you know, it makes sense to where we're, we're, we're going, right? Um, now let's start to show them things, right? And those can be crude sketches. It doesn't have, you know, you don't have to be using fancy high-end tools for this. There's a lot of, you know, a million tools out there that allow you to do this kind of work, you know. Um, that's really the process. And just kind of, again, like I was saying, ratcheting up the fidelity, getting a little bit more and more clarity and, and, and validation as you go along. And keeping that going until eventually you're like, hey, this is the system. And, you know, we have a very clear picture of what we're going to do first. And then you start to get into, of course, implementing that thing, right? So that's that's where, you know, how UX turns into user interface design, but it also then starts to become a delivery and a development kind of process. So, um, but you can prototype all the way through that, right? Which is great. You can, and you can do so in a very crude manner, you know, if you have to, it's, it's not like, Again, like there is a certain level of fidelity that you have to have to show people a concept, right? Um, I guess the one caveat there would be that just make sure that whatever your user is, whoever, whomever they may be, that they can consume what it is that you're presenting to them from a concept, right? Like, you know, sometimes your user base is savvy enough to understand what you're trying to insinuate through a very crude wireframe or a very rough sketch of something. Other times that might not be the case, right? So you might have to, you know, you might be more um, successful going into those kinds of uh, scenarios with um, a, a more polished, maybe kind of prototype that's maybe more clear, maybe more direct. But again, that's part of you as an organization starting from that basis of understanding your user and saying, what do they need to be successful and how can we present them options or, or you know, uh, concepts and ideas Um that makes sense to them so that we get the optimal amount of feedback in the, in the right way. Yeah. And you know, so many good points there and you don't need like this, this focus group thing. That's this big, you know, expensive drawn out. Thing. Just talk to some customers, start there. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's all about the qualitative. Like you can only get glean so much info from a survey. Yes, they have their purpose, but the qualitative talking, picking up on these nuances 
I'm almost thinking we need some type of uh, uh, guide or tool because you, you see Andy work a uh, a customer interview. It's a, it's a thing of beauty. So maybe by the time we we air this, we'll have something out there for that. Uh, but yeah, it's it's powerful and it's this process. And this is where it gets uh, interesting. It gets back to that concept of the mindset, right? This is not a one and done thing. This is not something we do in the beginning. All right, we're done. Move on to the next thing. It's this concept of continuous discovery and continuous delivery on the build side. This is a, a Tim Herbig uh, thing that I know you're a big proponent of, but it it becomes part of the organization's like ethos. It permeates permeates the entire organization. Uh, but talk us through that that concept of continuous discovery. It's it's touch points throughout all of the process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's what's interesting there is that you know at any one time you have those two threads going. You have discovery and delivery, so to speak, right? Um, and at any one time, they're kind of like one hand washes the other, right? Discovery is being done in a way to inform the next phase of delivery. You know, delivery is being done in order to create artifacts and elements that discovery that could be used for discovery, right? So it's it's this interesting like kind of, you know, ebbs and flow. Um, and again, like the intensity of one or the other is is dependent upon where you are in the life cycle of the product, right? So um, you know, I think it's, it's, a again, like you were saying, this, this mindset, having that understanding of like, how are your teams structured? You know, when you start to get into like teams, like we have at Hatchworks, where we have, you know, a, a discovery and a definition product team working in tandem with a, you know, a delivery team from an engineering perspective, those, those, that team is one team realistically. And every single day there's an ebb and flow of like, what are we, you know, what are we using to inform how we develop the next phase of the work. What are we hearing from research that we've been doing with customers to inform how we pivot, you know, if, if we need to, or if we're enhancing something or, you know, um, creating something new. Um, and, and similarly, it's, you know, from a delivery perspective of like, Hey, we, we can, we can now demo this thing, right? We have this thing ready to go that we could use as again, a, a, an artifact in validation, um, or might spin up things in a, in a, in a sandbox, uh, to use as, as again, like prototype, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's a really interesting, um, you know, when you get into kind of the fluidity of that kind of team and that kind of process, um, it all just becomes this cyclical thing where you're kind of inputting in what you get. It's going through this idea of, you know, you know, defining and building and, and, and validating, and then you're, you're, you're delivering, right. And continuously doing that. So, um, yeah, it's it's excellent. I mean, that's the yeah, way yeah. to do it. So you, you always hear about the CI/CD, but that the continuous discovery piece often gets overlooked because it's not the you know technical piece of it. It's that 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 dance, that tango between problem space and solution space, and it's ever kind of expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting. Uh, and that's the best products out there. That's that's the process they follow. You know, it's not this waterfall manner. Oh. Uh, what one area? So you think of UX. A lot of people are always thinking like, I got this back of the napkin idea of drawing it out. We're going to like design this thing and build it. Uh, but when you're modernizing something existing, you're redesigning something existing. UX is it's one of the most critical parts, right? Because your users are typically using your system in unintended ways, ways you don't even know. Go a bit deeper in terms of like what to consider when you're redesigning something existing same principles apply but there's some nuance yeah it's great yeah and it's a really fascinating topic because yeah to your point um when you have something that's established and you start to peel the onion in 
And again, like you go through the process of talking with your users, you're going to see all the duct tape and, you know, the, you know, the paper clips that have been put in there and all the things that, you know, people are, you know, maybe they're using a third party system to kind of augment what they, you know, what they're doing within your platform and kind of coming back to it. I mean, you'll see some really, typically in the older the system is, you'll see some very unique and interesting workflows that you may not even be aware of, right? And so again, that's where it's critically important to, in modernizing something and making it new, that you take the time to unpack all of that, right? Because there is a very real challenge in getting people to give up those processes that they have established. You know, there's, it's kind of baked into their, their workflow, especially, you know, we see this a lot in um, internal software that's, you know, that, that, you know, groups use for, you know, you know, you name it internally, right? Where there's, there's a very isolated user group, maybe, or, you know, I wouldn't say isolated, but a very specific user group that's using this thing to do a certain thing. And they have created their own ways to be more efficient, more effective, right? And you're hearing things in the pain point side as a, you know, as an owner of this, of this product or, you know, of this initiative that you want to solve, right? But the, the, the pain points that surface to, you know, to the top, are, are really the, the, I guess the, the, you know, the downstream of, of what's happening underneath of the, that, that folks are doing with your platform. So it's really about, okay, we got to unpack it. We got to, we got to do some digging. Um, and, and that's, that can be a daunting thing to think about, right? Like, where do you start? Right. Um, again, though, it's about just going into, you know, talking with your users and maybe shadowing them on their process. Um, we've done this with customers where we've, we've, we, they've been in the middle of modernization and, um, there's been interviews with, you know, uh, prime stakeholders and also users of certain platform where, you know, they're trying to get everybody to go onto a new platform that's kind of being built in parallel. Um, and more, more modern interface, you know, you know, bells and whistles looks very fancy. It's really nice. It was a great design for the new system, but nobody was using it because it didn't do like a handful of the critical things that people were doing with the old system that hadn't yet been addressed in the new system. So you think about that, if you had known that from the get-go, that's how you would have prioritized your roadmap, right? So, you know, again, that's where it's, you know, it's one thing to start an initiative and say, we're going to just rebuild this. You know, we're going to just, we're going to take what we have and we're going to do a new coat of paint to it. Everybody's going to move into the house and it's going to be awesome. And everybody's going to live there and be happy. But, you know, you got to get all your stuff out of the old house, you know, and you got to move it over. So, so, um, you know, that's really it. I think like, that's why it's critically important to take this mindset into a modernization project, right? Because you have to be able to do that, that deeper dive. Um, and from that, you know, use that prioritization to inform where you're going to start phase one. Right. And again, like 80, 20, if we do this in phase one, that, that accomplishes 80%. Cool. We can, we can, uh, you know, deprioritize these other things that we thought might have been the focus, but are really more of nice to have when we, when we really unpacked what our our customers are doing with with the platform, right? Yeah, and there's so much opportunity in how how users are using your system today. I can't tell you how many times you and the team have gone in and started talking to people using the system today, and you come back with, "Hey, they're doing the X Y Z thing. It's not in the platform." And you know our customer, our stakeholders, like, are, are you serious? They, they, it's right. like the surprise factor. It's like everything uh, funnels back to like Excel or something like they're using Excel. What are you talking about? Yeah. It, <laughs> that opens up new ideas though, which is cool because you're like, oh, well we could solve that problem with our solution. And that's, that's where the, the real fun stuff starts. 
And with with an existing solution, like human nature is weird, right? You got the endowment effect in play where people are more likely to retain something they have, even if something else is better because they just value it more. And then loss aversion, they they value the pain of a loss more than the something gaining something, right? It's like the whole yeah, adage of a bird in the hands worth uh, two in the bush. Yeah. Go with what you know, right? I mean, like that's, yeah. that's a, and, and, and it's like this Eating gets into, it, yeah, it gets into like really a, um, like a habit breaking kind of, kind of process, right? Like you have to prove that the new thing you're doing is truly better for that adoption to happen. Right. And it can't just be the same thing with a better coat of pain. Right. It has to be better for me to be like, okay, I'm going to make the switch. And this happens, I mean, across the board with any sort of interaction, any sort of product that you or I use or anybody, right? It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big on, on Sonos. I use Sonos all the time because I feel like the, uh, you know, um, you know, the interface and the interactions and the integrations are fantastic for putting music throughout my house. But like, I have friends who use other, uh, you know, services and they're like, you gotta, you know, jump over to this. And I'm like, no way, man, I'm invested. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And, and last, last thing, and we'll wrap it. This, this has been awesome, but the bar is at the level of what customers experience with other things. It's not, it's not your thing, but their bar, it could be how they experience stuff with Apple or Google or name your thing. Like that's the bar that they expect. That's another reason user experience is so critical. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, people are used to I mean, we, we, we live in a, a, a fantastic time. If I sound like some, some old timer, but we live in a very interesting time where we have all of these fantastic, like we, we, there are groups out there, like you mentioned Apple and, you know, they're, they're putting a ton of, uh, they have put a ton of work into really nailing user experience. Right. And the, the proof is in the pudding. Their, their products are ubiquitous, right? Everybody knows them. Everybody uses them. There's, there's, there's wars about, you know, Apple versus Android, you know what I mean? Like this, they're, they're an entity within like just human experience, right? It's not just user experience. Um, and so from that, like realistically you're being measured, whether you like it or not on that bar, like you said, you can't, it, they, like you're coming into the game with, with your service or your solution. You, you have to, it's, it's reasonable to expect your, your users to expect that kind of experience. So again, the more you can kind of adopt and, and really, um, you know, study and understand what it means to have good user experience. Again, it's not about visuals. It's not even about ease of use, right? Um, it's about true and utter, um, enablement, right? The more you can understand that, more you can kind of like ingrain that into what you're doing with your product or your solution, the better off you'll be, because then you're going to be right up there with, with those heavyweights that have been doing it for years and years and years. Yeah, and not to end on a daunting note there, you definitely just get started <laughs> with, you know, talk to your customers. You have these examples out there too. That's the, look, uh, you know, tertiary to other things, even outside of your category. There's so many great experiences out there you can tap into. Uh, but yeah, Andy, this has been awesome. There's so many rabbit holes I want to dig deeper into, but we'll save those for some future episodes. We'll definitely have you on again, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, let's us do it on. again. Built right. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pleasure. And anytime you want to talk, you know where to find me. Yep. Sounds good. Talk to you later, Andy. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to Built Right. If you enjoy the show, give us a follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to leave us a review. For more info on Built Right, visit us at hatchworksbuiltright.com.
Big news. Season two of the Built Right Podcast is right around the corner, launching on February 6th. And in this season, we're going all in on generative AI. The guest list is insane, ranging from international AI speakers, founders of Gen AI products, experts in specific domains of Gen AI, and leaders across industries. And we'll even have some Hatrick's own Gen AI leaders as we dig into our generative-driven development methodology. This season isn't just for non-techies, though. Whether you're an AI guru or just AI curious, we're going to bring tactical real-world applications of how you can apply Gen AI in your work and your life that anyone can understand and relate to. And P.S. Gen AI will impact every single industry. So no matter your domain, you need to make sure you set a reminder every other week to listen to the next episode of the Built Right Podcast. While you're waiting for season two, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. And give us a follow on LinkedIn to join the conversation and give us ideas on specific Gen AI topics you want to hear about. So get ready. Built Right Season 2 Gen AI Edition is coming your way.